Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. No my haere mai, kia ora. Welcome to Books and Beyond, to our Literary Lounge episode with Alison and Inika. Kia ora, Inika. Kia ora, Alison. Good to have you back in the studio this yeah, week. nice to be back. It's a chilly day, isn't it? It's but really cold. It's beautiful, though. Yeah. Now, look, on today's show, we're going to be talking about what we've been reading and what's on our to-be-read lists. Mm, sounds good. So I'd like to, to jump in, if I may, because I've been telling you about this book. It is amazing. I've just um, finished um, a book called, by uh, Kelly Jo Ford, mm-hmm. and it's called Crooked Hallelujah. Now, it's an own voice debut novel that spans four generations of Cherokee women in Oklahoma and Texas during um, that oil boom and, and bust during the 1970s and 1980s. Mm. Oh, it's just, I'm really blown away by this book. So it begins um, in 1974, and it starts in the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, which I know we've talked about before on this show. Yeah. And our main character, uh, Justine, is a 15-year-old, and she's basically trying to just be a teenager, as you do, mm. you know, when you when you're 15. So, but life is is not easy. Um, now, so the uh, talked about um, four generations of of women. So um, we uh, don't learn much about Granny, who's the great grandmother. Oh but yes, she is. We do know that she's beloved. They they adore her. So then her daughter, Lula, is the matriarch of the family. Mm -hmm. And then Justine is her daughter. So Justine is the the teenager that's trying to to, um, just get on with being a teenager. Okay. And then her daughter is Rainy. And... um, um, what was that? I just completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> it'll come back to me. I was going to. I had some sort of insight. Oh, that's right. The reason why we've got four generations of women and they're all living in the same house to start with, we've got one of those situations where children have children. Ah, uh, yes. So they're very young mums, um, and um, the book goes into more detail and gives you context around this. Oh, yes. So um, times were were difficult um, in Texas and Oklahoma in these days, but even more so if you were Native American and a woman mm-hmm. as well. So you've got this sort of arid backdrop of the dry fields and um, as we talked about before in another show, that the land that the Cherokee um, people were moved to was terrible land, That's really. Right. It was very arid. You couldn't really grow anything. You were lucky if you could raise a few ponies, basically. Mm. But everything was, was hard. Um, now, uh, so we've got this harsh backdrop, but um, to complicate matters is Lula's um, adherence to a really strict fundamentalist religion. Oh, I see. Um, so, and this religion and the all the beliefs, they're having to wear long dresses and, you know, don't show any 
skin, all this sort of thing, it pushes Justine really hard in the direction of, of bad choices I see. Um, as a way to rebel. Um, and so, but you've got this sort of imposing holiness Christian church that's in the background all the time. Mm. So what we've got here, um, it is, it's grim, but there's something amazing and beautiful about the story. So it's intergenerational. We've got mothers and daughters struggling basically to keep their families together. Um, so we've got poverty, there's illness, mm-hmm. um, and terrible natural disasters. Um, there'd be times when um, a, a giant dust storm would appear and farmers or, or ranchers would get blown away and they'd never be found, you know. Oh, and gosh. Just so a everything hard, against them. Yeah, mm. everything against them. And yet the population largely accepts this because I guess... What, what are they going to do about it, mm-hmm. basically? It's really about um, how powerless the Cherokee people have become um, and we probably know all the reasons why, mm. you know. Um, so anyway, you uh, – so Justine, um, Lula's daughter, becomes pregnant at 15. So um, the novel – primarily shifts between the perspective of Justine, the Mm. young mum, and her amazing daughter, Rainey, who um, is torn between her loyalty to her family and her aspirations to attend college and create a a life of her own. Mm. Because Rainey's quite gifted and um, partially because she spends so much time with her grandmother and her beloved granny too and so she's learning from these strong strong women all the time yeah yeah and there's a couple of books in the house and and rainy manages to take every opportunity that that she can find but i think it's because she's surrounded by love Mm. now um rainy um life isn't easy for her um even though she's very intelligent, um, she ends up working at a Dairy Queen, which is kind of like a you know, fast food chain. Yeah. Um, and it looks as though she's going to repeat, history's going to repeat itself, because yeah. she ends up married to a guy who's just hopeless, really. He's a drinker and he um, gets violent. And, um, oh, I see. Life gets really, really hard. But... Um, and uh, Rainey um, loves animals so much and she has a mule that um, she's kind of adopted from, from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's when this kind of terrible husband, this guy she's with, um, does something terrible to the mule through neglect that Rainey packs up and just says, I'm out of here. It's often the way, isn't it? Those, yeah. You know, the, the link between animals and... You know, domestic abuse. You know, yes. it's quite a complex little relationship that, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Mm. And sometimes it can be the impetus for, right. for one or other party to, to say that's it. Yeah. You, you've crossed a line. That's true. Yeah. Um, oh, it's very, very powerful. So, um, yeah, and um, but not all the men, not all, um, hashtag <laughs> men are Loses or, or awful in the book. Her, um, uh, Justine's supervisor at the Dairy Queen is a really good 
man. I've just forgotten his name, but he um, he's really awkward and everything. And but he envisages a better life for for Justine. So he tries to help her, and he he mm. says, "Look, I'll pay for your college, or you know, oh, amazing. we've got to get you out of here." And you know, so there are good men. It's not all one sided yeah. or, or anything like that. Yeah, but I think it's probably quite real. Now the um, so that's kind of the the story, but the um. The, the writing is so beautiful, and even just the way she um, uh, organises the the chapters, they're um, beautifully titled. So you don't get chapter one, two, mm. three, or anything. She gives the, the sections um, names like um, "Somewhere Listening for My Name," and then another section's called "What Good Is an Ark to a Fish." <laughs> um, and it kind of gives you an idea of the the evolution of the the characters from the 1970s up until probably what's just about the present day. Yeah. Um, now the only real criticism I've read of the book um, is that um, it's got some really dramatic subplots in it um, within the lives of minor characters, um, but the the critics. Um, feel as though these subplots never really resolve, and that they are ultimately unsatisfying chapters. Mm. But in one of the, the, it was a very dramatic subplot. Um, it, they have a young neighbour on the um, in the Cherokee Nation, and he um, has um, adopted lesbian mums, and he has to defend them from a home invasion. Oh. So there was criticism. It's a story in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Was, the critics said, "What what did that have to do with the other story arc?" Right. Um, I don't know. I, um, but yes, it happens with debut novels. The novelists, though, they want to get a lot into their first book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, in some ways, it made me think. God, I wonder what she's going to write next. Yeah. Um, but look, it is just. A beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it's one that um, s- has stayed with me. I've probably finished reading it a week ago, but I've thought about it first thing in the morning when I get up and mm. last thing at night. It, it's one of those ones that has stayed it's in always, my soul. Yeah, while really. you read other ones, and that's always such a such a great marker for a yes. longevity and a great book, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I would just highly, highly recommend it. Um, it, Even um, beautiful sort of things like um, the young woman Rainey sums up her family and um, the dynamic just in a couple of sentences. She says, my father wasn't a wound or even a scar, not a black hole or a dry desert. He just wasn't. Not for me anyway. Mm. Mum was my sun and my moon. I was all. I was her all too, and that was us, you know. And so, just Lovely. beautiful, and that tells you a lot, just in a couple of sentences, mm. doesn't it? It's yeah. I could probably talk more about it, but it's just so beautiful. Oh, I highly, lovely. highly recommend it. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. This um, that area and that time is so interesting, isn't it? That that book Elizabeth, uh, by Elizabeth Wetmore that I read earlier oh, yes. last year, um, Valentine, was also set in Texas in the nineteen seventies in an oil town. Yes, but this one is obviously shown the native from the Native American perspective. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That, and it reminded me of that as well when I was reading it. Because and then at one stage I thought, is this the one um, Inika was talking about? But I realised it was a. 
a different. Sounds like it has some of the same kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, really great. Oh, well, um, I had a few days off in the last week or so, so I did get a little bit of reading done. So um, I started with just a little short, short and sweet one. So um, I read a book called uh, Whereabouts by Jumpa Lahiri. And this is a, a brand new novel, 2021. Um, and it's in the adult fiction collection. And it's also on Overdrive as well. Now, this is actually my first read of um, a book by Jumpa Lahiri. I haven't read her short stories or her other novels, but um, it definitely won't be my last. Um, I was really, really fascinated by her writing and um, I'd love to read some more already. Now, um, Jumpa Lahiri is a real citizen of the world. She was born to Bengali parents in London and then the family moved to the States when she was around three and um, she, as she grew, she um, studied many languages while she was um, growing up and in her university years. And um, she actually won a Pulitzer for her very first short story collection, which was called Interpreter of Melodies. Which was amazing. That was fantastic. Was it? Yeah. yeah. I recommend that one. Oh, well, this is right. And I understand that that one and some of her f- further works after that, um, sort of both short stories, nonfiction, and a couple of novels as well, um, were kind of about the Indian experience, um, both in India, but also as second and third generation mm-hmm. immigrants, I understand. Um, a couple that I've seen on the shelves are The Namesake and The Lowlands, um, which was a shortlisted for the Man Booker a few years ago, maybe 2017-18, something like that. Anyway, I found out that um, that she um, she actually upped sticks after um, after uh, in the last few years she's upped sticks and moved to Rome, mm. and she had started studying. Um, she had visited Florence as a university student, and absolutely fell in love with Italy and with Italian. So she started taking Italian lessons in New York. And then she decided that she actually wanted to move to Italy and totally immerse herself in the language and in the culture. So they, her whole family moved to Rome and um, she now lives there permanently. And she declared that even though she was kind of like not fully fluent at that stage, she decided that she was going to write purely in Italian and that any of, any of her writing from now on would be in Italian and translated back into English. Wow. You're a pretty a, amazing woman. Yes, what a gifted Woman, yeah, she must and be. that's a bold move, isn't it? When you're yes. a writer who's already had acclaimed writing in English, but then to decide that you're going to fully tra- change your writing mm. into another language and translate it back—really, really fascinating. Wow. Um, I did have a little look online to sort of see what, um, and she and her writing in Italian has also won awards. So she's obviously just one of these brilliant and talented yes. women <laughs> and, and writers. Um, now, this is another one of my little books, but with hidden depth. So it's only a, just over 150 pages, really, really short chapters. Some of them are just a page long. So this book covers a year of um, the unnamed narrator's life. It tracks her time spent in an unnamed city. Um, I'm going to say it's Rome to me. It sounds like mm. Rome, which is where she lives. Um, and she is visiting places like the local coffee shop, the, the park down the road, um, an art gallery downtown, um, the supermarket, 
all the different places around and um, her area and and um, just outside her city. Now, as she goes around, she's recording her kind of sensory impressions of those places and her internal experiences of, of being in there, those spaces, and also her interactions with strangers and acquaintances, family members who she bumps into or meets. Um, she lives alone, and we hear how this is both a lonely experience but also liberating for her, depending on the day in the mood. She's often casting her mind back to her childhood and to the relationship that she had with her parents and to their, their relationship with each other because they had quite a fractious relationship. And the older that she got or this unnamed narrator got, um, the more fractious it became and she got pulled into the mix um, as a bone of contention between her parents um, with her father seeing her as more of a, uh, a better companion or a better um, person to share um, himself with than her mother. Oh. So it was quite complex. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyways, the year wears on, she finds herself getting kind of more aware of her own place in the city and her own sense of self. And she takes a train ride out to her mum. And this kind of leads to a resolution of where change needs to happen in both her personal and her professional life. So she kind of grows as a person and makes a big decision by the end of the book. Now, her writing's quite stylistically plain, but man, um, she has such skill in conveying so much in such really quite plain and stark language. Um, it really reminded me of Rachel Cusk um, and the um, the trilogy, the Outline Trilogy, I think yes. it's called. Yeah, I mean, she's clearly a very deeply engaged um, observer of life and um, also of herself. She's, you know, very reflective. I'm really looking forward to reading more from her. Yeah, oh, I'm going to read this now that you've given it such a good review. Um, it's interesting that you mention Rachel Cusk because I've been reading Rachel's new book oh, yes. um, this week. But I'm just wondering if um, Jhumpa Lahiri might be more well-liked by the critics, perhaps, or well-received ah, yeah. than Rachel Cusk. So the one I was just telling you about it earlier, it's called Second Place. Um, by Rachel Cuss. It's only just been published. And, of course, she's the um, Canadian-slash-British author, um, famous or perhaps infamous, too, for that outline trilogy. Mm. And she's up sticks and she lives in Paris. Oh, yes, that's right. So, now, this is um, second place. It's a um, it's a first-person sort of testimony um, by um, and a character that you only know as M, mm-hmm. um, who's a writer. Um, and in, she in, M invites the celebrated painter, who is known as L, um, to stay <clears throat> in the annex of her home in the um, marshlands. Mm-hmm. So they uh, say that um, the... Writer M is almost like Rachel Cusk herself, and the the Marshland home is very much like Rachel's British home that she apparently sold. And they yeah. even criticised her because it sold for a really big price. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, is that her fault? Um, I don't is that know. not the common common way nowadays? Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's almost like whatever she does, she can't win. Can't get to break, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, the. The writer M is kind of half in love with with this painter L, and she's sort of desperate for his attention, and mm. she just wants to be accepted by him, etc. And even though she's got a, a husband, um, 
who's who's living there as well. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's um, and she's also got an adult daughter um, living on the property. So it's like this big, almost like a bohemian enclave mm. of of artists and and writers that she's writing about. Um, it, it speaks to a lot of um, privilege from the the, the painter L that she's that. Um, she has invited to stay because mm-hmm. it, you almost worry at times that he's going to destroy her with the way he, he's sort of quite cruel in the way that he either ignores her or acts as though he's in love with her, etc. Uh. So now the books had mixed reviews. I um I largely enjoyed it, but it's a really really slow burn. It's oh yeah, sort of glacial really. <laughs> And um, the first thing I noticed when I started reading the book, I was reading it in hard copy, was um, this use of a typeface that she uses, and it's called Optima. Okay. Um, You might know what that is, but it's all I knew, um, even though I've got an untrained eye for it. It's a really unusual typeface to use in a in a book. Okay. Um, And it's that sans serif, um, so it doesn't have the toppy bottom me bits you know on the letters yeah those bits bits. yeah that's that's (laughs) in the technical terms that we describe it but I just sort of thought this is weird maybe this is all the introduction that I'm still reading you know because it just looked different especially with the slow burn element yes that's right this is the longest (laughs) introduction I've ever ever read in my life but curiously the critics have said, you know how that she can't catch a break. Mm. Her use of this particular typeface um, adds um, to an indefinable sense of threat in her novels. So they've sort of said it's like okay. a, an aggression that she has, which I just think that's a bit. Maybe she just likes that typeface. <laughs> and as you were saying earlier, if she could get it past the editors and the publisher, if they said, look, it's unusual, but we'll print it. We'll run with it, yeah. Who's to criticise that? Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway, it's a, it's a tale of sort of midlife malaise, midlife crises all around. And um, she's based it um, on a book um, written in the about 1932, I think, about um, when D. H. Lawrence was invited by um, a, a socialite in New Mexico to stay. So oh. D. H. and Frida Lawrence stayed with this woman in Taos, New Mexico, for six months or something. And I think it was also emotionally awful too and so then this woman wrote a, um, a book about it um, now it's, uh, Mabel Dodge Luhan is okay. the, the woman who wrote it in 1932 so um, and um, D.H. Lawrence apparently threatened to destroy her um, yeah. goodness so, me so for some reason um, Rachel Cusk has taken that experience and and written this new novel, translated it over. So, yeah. Mm. So wow, what's the lesson of this tale? Yes, we were inviting artists to your um, yeah. I think it might be to your holiday home. Yes. Um, <laughs> a, they may never leave, and oh, there B, is that. B, they'll threaten to destroy you. So <laughs> yeah, um, it's. But as I say, it's a slow burn. It probably won't be everyone's cup of tea. But I'm glad I've, I'm glad I've read it. Yeah. Nice. Well, this is um, probably a little bit different from that one. <laughs> um, I'm going to, um, I 
absolutely chewed through a, a young adult novel, a teen novel, um, on my break. And um, this was, I read it on Overdrive, but it's also available in hard copy. Um, and this is an Eileen Merriman book. And I'm pretty sure I reviewed an Eileen Merriman book just she a few has. weeks ago. Yeah. Hey, um, I think it was Silence of Snow. Well, this That's is, right. yeah. So she's writing, um, she writes primarily for teens. Um, so this is um, the first one for teens that I've read of hers. Um, and this is a 2020 novel called A Trio of Sophies. Now, this book is um, is in a diary format. So we're reading the diary of um, the main character, 16-year-old Sophie Mack. Now, Sophie Mack is one of the trio of Sophies. She is the smartest Sophie of her three mm. friends, but actually she longs to be the most beautiful Sophie, like Sophie A, her mate, or to be wealthy rather than kind of struggling along in a small flat with her single mum. Sophie T, her other friend, is, is very, very wealthy. Now, we find out from her diary entries that in, over the last summer holidays, she began an intense relationship with a, a very attractive man in his 20s who she met when she was out running one day. Now, he um, he sort of comes on quite quite strong and um, she sort of falls head over heels for him. He tells her that she's beautiful and that she's bright. And she lies and tells him that she's 19 and about to start uni rather than just going into maybe sixth or maybe seventh form. She's about 16 going on 17. Now, later on, she finds out that he's actually a secondary school teacher. And guess which school that he's starting at in the new year? Now, you would think that when he finds out this, that he would stop the relationship Mm -hmm. straight away. And initially he does. But then the relationship starts up again when the school year has carried on. The majority of this book actually counts backwards. So it starts at day 65 in her diary and the entries are slowly revealing more and more about their relationship while at the same time you're heading towards this fateful day zero which is the day when one of the Sophies in that trio goes missing. So there's actually quite a lot going on in this book. Um, It's super, super hooky, heaps to uncover and lots of reveals. So it's got a cross between um, the first love story but with a very dark Mm -hmm. kind of side. It's got mystery elements with lots of plot twists and it's also the story of, um, you know, female friendships being tested and put to the test by those kind of first informative partnering relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this one is definitely not for younger teens, I have to say, uh, because the main focus is an, um, a very intimate relationship between a 16-year-old student, so she is, you know, whatever, technically legal, and her 25-year-old teacher, so nearly 10 years older. Um, there's actually some there's some fairly steamy but not explicit scenes, um, you know, on in beaches, uh, on beaches, and in weekends, dirty weekends away in the batch and in bedrooms as well. So it's something to be aware of there. And there's also elements of kind of abusive, manipulative relationships. Mm. Um, the narrator's view on the relationship kind of complicates matters too because it's sort of, she's veering between wishing that it had never happened and then wishing that it could keep going or mm. go even further. So this is quite similar to that My Dark Vanessa for a younger audience. Um I mean, having having said those sort of little warnings there, um, I think older t- teens would really um, get a lot out of this book. I, I certainly really enjoyed it. I think it's also really worth reading if you're the parent of a teenager because it would be a really great jumping off point for those conversations around what makes a healthy romantic relationship, what makes an unhealthy mm. rela- romantic relationship, and also how those can tie back to other you know, relationships with your family or with your good friends as well. Yeah. Oh, it sounds as though it's going to be a really important book because um, 
um, you know, there's you you know you were saying about my dark Vanessa, which was just creepy, wasn't it? Yes. But I think as we of a certain age, um, we'll read though because we're more experienced, we get the creeps really quickly. And whereas our our daughters, perhaps who are teens, may go into something like that more in a more of an innocent frame of mind. Yeah, and that's you why it's that. definitely one to watch at this one because this is from her perspective as a young person mm. with my dark business. So she's looking back on the relationship, right. yes. but she still kind of has that um, that romantic, slightly romanticised yes. view of what was actually quite was a actually, yes. disturbing and damaged relationship. Yeah. yeah, and even though she's starting to realise, she's horrified when she starts to realise how... Mm damaging and abusive that relationship was. Yeah. So she, yeah. But she still can't um, quite let it go mm, either. So, mm. yeah, I think those two are a good pair to read, read yes. together. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds as though there'd be, as you say, lots of conversation starters and teachable moments there. Definitely. But at the same time, it's a great read. Yeah, really compelling. I couldn't mm. put it down. I stayed up really late reading it <laughs> just to finish it off over a night. Yes. Oh, she's so good. Eileen Merriman, isn't she? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to look look that one up as well. Mm. Well, look, I think we've um, this seems to have gone really quickly. Doesn't I know. It? We've had a lot of fun, haven't we? Session, and we could have talked talked more. Um, we've got about oh, I think we've only got about thirty seconds, so I'm not quite sure what we can. <laughs> add. We're going to well, have to I, continue this. Aren't yes, we? we are. Well, I definitely have a huge stack of to be read books, so I'm really looking forward to coming back and talking about those next time. Heaps yes. to share next time as well. I think we probably could. Um, we'll continue on from here when we're when we're on air next. Sounds we'll, good. We'll do that. So sorry that we didn't get through everything we wanted to. Today, we were over ambitious. <laughs> but look, thanks for tuning in today, um, listeners. Take care. Happy reading. And haerera, ka kite anō. brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online.